Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Call Debbie. On tonight's show, we start off with Pamela, who has had many strange experiences in her family. Hello? Oh, hello, Pamela, dear. Now, in your own time, please tell us your stories. The first part of this story happened around 1959. The second part about Aunt Mildred's ghost happened at around 1895, when my grandmother was 13 years old. My grandmother was uh, a very helpful kid, even in her young years. She was brought up in Hazard, Kentucky, which is in the Appalachian Mountains. My grandmother, Rhoda, always prided herself as being a type of a witch, even as a young teen, not an evil one, however. She could remove warts and take the pain out of a burn. I can honestly testify that she could do these things. Once my mom had some bothersome warts on her fingers, Grandma got a milkstone out of her old black trunk, rubbed it over the warts, whispered something, and then blew on them. Several days later, Mom was wringing out her mop while, as she was doing housework. The warts then just slid off of her fingers and landed in the mop bucket. Then I heard her yell, it worked, and she gave a girlish giggle. My grandmother Rhoda was a great cook, so every weekend she had a house full of people, mostly relatives, but also neighbors and friends. Back then, just about any adult over the age of 16 smoked, and they would always get together and play cards as she fixed a meal. One day, my little sister found someone's lighter on the floor. She picked it up, lit it, and burned her fingers and part of her hand. She screamed and ran to my grandma. So grandma grabbed her hand, held it, looked upward with her eyes closed, and then back over the injured hand. Once again, through the crying of my sister, I could see her lips moving as she whispered something. And then she blew on the burns. My sister stopped crying as grandma wiped away her tear-stained cheeks. My sister told me later that her hand never hurt again, her skin never turned red, or had any blisters. Okay, this part of the story happened around 1895. My grandmother Rhoda's mother died when she was only two years old, so she was raised by her eldest sister, Catherine. When Grandma was a young teen, her old Aunt Mildred came to stay with them because of her declining health. Her sons worked in the mines, so they could not take good care of her. But Grandma Rhoda and Catherine took very good care of Mildred as much as they could. The old country doctor would come over twice a week to give her what medications that were available back in those days, which wasn't much. As the months dragged on, Aunt Mildred's cancer steadily got worse. Try as she could, Grandma Rhoda could not heal Aunt Mildred. 
Early one Sunday morning, Aunt Mildred breathed her last. Catherine knew she'd have to clean and dress the body for her wake and also for her burial. She needed to give Grandma Rhoda a chore so that she wouldn't have to witness this being done as she was such a young girl. Catherine told her to go out to the garden and to pick some vegetables. She knew a lot of company would be coming that evening when the word got around. There was a small porch out back with a very steep set of steps down to the big backyard garden. When Grandma got out on the porch, she caught a sight of movement. Her eyes settled on someone standing in the midst of the garden. She was shocked to see Aunt Mildred. She yelled out, Aunt Mildred, is that you? She knew she just left her deathbed, but lo and behold, there she stood. Mildred looked up at her, smiled, and then slowly faded away. Was this possibly her way of thanking her for trying to heal her? Or was she just grateful for the care she'd given her? Or was this her way of saying goodbye and that she was now okay? Now, Pamela, tell us about the experiences that you had yourself. I used to live in a haunted house because my uh, then-husband worked on a horse farm in Lexington, Kentucky. You know, that's all horse country down there. And I actually didn't see the ghost in this house, but we did have a grave out front And the gravestone said that this man had died in 1888. Well, I used to be home while my husband was working, and Damien was was a little boy then. But uh, um, I could hear footsteps upstairs going back and forth, heavy footsteps, right in the middle of the day. But for some reason, I wasn't frightened. But I would go up the stairs to check it out, and as soon as I'd get close to the top landing, the footsteps would stop. But I never saw anything. But Damien did. I was fixing dinner one day for my husband, and I heard Damien scream. So I ran in to where he was, and he was almost hysterical. So I kind of shook him, and I said, what's wrong, honey? And he said, there was a man standing there staring at me. And he had like a Fu Manchu mustache and stringy, dark hair. And his eyes were popped out. He stared a while and then just faded away, he said. He still remembers it. The ones I saw were at my cousin's house, and this was only a couple of years ago. I got the news uh, two years ago that my second cousin, Rodney, had gotten a type of leukemia. So we were always very close, and as a result, I went to their house to spend a couple of days. He lives in a gated community. His wife is a nurse. Uh, He used to treat burn victims and travel all over the United States. He treated mostly children. Uh, I'd gone to visit him, and they gave me the master bedroom that particular night. Well, we were in the living room, and we were looking through uh, their family photos, 
and their daughter, Brianna, and her boyfriend, Taylor, were there as well. Well, after a while, uh, my cousin Rodney with the cancer, he had gotten tired, so uh, Taylor left first, and then Brianna left. Well, then we all went to bed. So about 2.30 a.m., I think, uh, I had to get up and go to the restroom, but I heard some giggling and laughing. And I thought, who's that up in the middle of the night? So I went to the door that looked across the dining room, and there was in front of where the front door was, light would shine in, you know, from the outside light. But there was two black figures standing there. One kind of looked female and the other male, but they looked young from what I could tell. And I thought it was Brianna and Taylor. But they were whispering to one another and giggling, but the light shining in showed no patterns on any clothing or anything. They were just totally black. I didn't think much about it at the time, so I went on back to bed. Well, the next morning I woke up and I walked into the kitchen. My cousin Rodney and his wife were sitting there at the table having coffee. So I told them, I said, I see Brianna and Taylor came back last night. They looked at one another and then looked at me and said, Pam, they never came back. And I said, well, who was those two figures I saw early this morning? And they said, Pam, we see and hear things all the time in this house. Well, that is giving me the heebie-jeebies, Pamela. Now, what about your dad's experiences? You mentioned something about a time warp? My dad actually had two uh, time warp ghost stories. (laughs) He told me, you know, as you know, he was a truck driver and, you know, sometimes he didn't get much sleep, you know, having us kids at home and he had to sleep through the day and we weren't the quietest of children. (laughs) But anyway, one night he was driving and uh, he was very, very tired. So honestly, I don't know if he was asleep at the wheel or, you know, he was just hallucinating, but he turned around and his brother-in-law from Hazard was sitting in the seat next to him and he started talking to him. So they talked to one another, you know, seemed like quite a while. And then my dad turned around to answer something that he had said and there was no one there, but that brother-in-law died shortly after. Now, who do we have next? Ah, yes, it's Kristen again from the phone-in last time. She's back to tell us about some more spooky encounters she had with her late father. I had a conversation with my dad um, before he passed away about how sensitive I am to energies, or or I can tell if, if I don't want to say a bad person, but it, like I can tell if there's an energy in the room that is displeasing to me, like just not in alignment with my vibration or who I am. And, um, and my dad said the same thing. He, he used to be a podiatrist, acupuncturist, herbologist. And he said that he could tell when a bad person would walk into his office and he would, you know, he would treat them and let them be on their way. But he also to acknowledge that, like, that is, that is a capability he had as well. Um, 
when my father passed away about six years ago, I remember, especially now, a lot of the things that he said when he was in his physical form are now resonating with me now. He always used to talk about how our bodies were spacesuits. And, uh, and so more so than ever, it's very interesting. I feel like we communicate more now energetically than we did when he was physically here. It's just a different form of communication. And he's done some beautiful things. Um, my dad, uh, Wayne, he had pancreatic cancer and uh, he passed away back in 2014 when I was a new mom. I had a newborn. My son Bodhi was four months old. I should, I should back up and say that my dad and I were very close. Like we, uh, just in terms of our, our communication style, our personalities, our, I'm very much my father's daughter in many ways. And um, to this day, want to live up to the type of person he was and still energetically is. But what I'd like to share about, about this whole experience about my father passing away is how he initiated I feel like this deep spiritual awareness that I think had sort of just been underlying for me my entire life. Like I, I've always aligned with being more of a spiritual being. I grew up Roman Catholic, but I always felt like religion to me was more about a sense of community, not necessarily the, <laughs> the content. And, you know, what's interesting is that my, my dad was very, uh, was very much a church going person every Sunday he played his trumpet with the choir. He sang. Um, he was very deeply religious, but also deeply, deeply spiritual. And a lot of his philosophy, I feel like, stemmed from Buddhism. I should mention we're we're Asian American, so you know my my dad um, he operated from a place of of selflessness. Like he's the type of person that would give you the shirt off his back, and. You know, a, a great example of that is just, you know, when I would work in his podiatry office and handle some of his paperwork, um, I would see people who had not maybe paid their bills for several visits. And my dad's philosophy was like, you know what, if they need the treatment, I'm here for it and not to worry about the payment. Like, that's just the type of person he was. So he's very um, other focused and, and just of service to others. And I always look at that as a guiding light for, you know, figuring out for myself how I can be of service to others. But just, just to sort of lay the groundwork of the type of person he was. Um, so anyways, cut to the, the, the time when he passed away. And that was a, that was a big struggle for me. Um, to further characterize him, he, he knew he was dying and he did not want me to be there for that. So when I got the call from my uncle, saying, hey, you should get up here. He, he was located in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm located in Los Angeles. It's about a 45 minute to an hour flight. My uncle called me. I have a newborn in my arms. He's like, you need to get up here. So between that call and um, getting up to the Bay Area, I, I got there within two hours of that call. However, just as I was about to take off on my flight, I get a call from my stepsister saying that I need to say goodbye to my dad. And that was heartbreaking. It was like, I felt like a scene out of a movie that I was having to say goodbye to my dad over the telephone or the, my cell phone before 
my flight was going to take off and it was just gut-wrenching and I have my son in a carrier in my arms um and um what's interesting about that is you know I for for many years after his death I really felt like I needed I never had closure like that I should have been there with him when he passed um he, had, he was surrounded by so many friends and family. So it's not like he was alone, but I just, as his daughter felt like it was my right, you know? And, and, and I, I don't know, maybe I tied some sort of uh, like validation, like, like with how, like of how much I loved him to needing to have been there. And it, what I've learned um, over the last years is that it, me being there physically, um, wasn't necessary. Um, in, in having just sort of explored my own psychic mediumship and, you know, when you, before you do that, you, you have this thirst to see so many others and understand the way things happened. And so when I spoke with a medium about it, she's like, your dad was with you. I see him with you on that airplane with you and Bodhi. You guys were together. And as she had said that to me, I, I knew that to be true. He was energetically with me. Um, but ultimately, you know, he, he had relayed through a medium that he wanted to be remembered for living, not dying. I do remember when I came back home with my son and I was, you know, breastfeeding him in the middle of the night and I could feel my father's presence sitting next to me. And I was, I was a little scared. You know, I, I think when you can't really see it, it's really hard to understand, but you know, innately that the sensation you feel has meaning, you know, I mean, it doesn't just kind of materialize out of nowhere. And so at that very moment that I think he was trying to reach out to me, he knew I wasn't ready, but I did come to a place where he started showing up and it didn't scare me. I was actually more delighted and like impressed that he had the capability to communicate without his body through electricity. One of the first ones that was really compelling was I had gotten these flashlights, these emergency flashlights, you plug them into the wall. Um, we had had a series of earthquakes down in LA and I realized I wouldn't even know what drawers to go to to find a working flashlight. So my neighborhood told me about these emergency flashlights you plug into the wall and they act like generators. So if the power is cut, they'll go on automatically. So I got one for each floor. We have a three level townhome and uh, we're on the main floor. The one I had plugged in the kitchens behind the kitchen table. And one day we're just sitting down um, watching TV and I see that this flashlight goes on and I'm like, Hmm, that's odd. Our electricity's on. Like it shouldn't just turn on like that. So I go over to it and before I'm able to turn it off, it turns off by itself. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I turn around and I walk away and it goes back on again. And I turn around and I'm like, what is, <laughs> what is happening? Do we have a faulty flashlight? Um, but this happens a couple of times. So I go to turn it off. And then he turns it back on again. And it's like, I, like we were, I was just playing a game of flashlight with my dad. And it's weird because you, you would probably think like, how do you know it was your dad? I just knew it was my dad. More so after I got a call, I think later that night from an uncle to share something um, in relation to my dad inherited a property from my grandfather. He got married the year he passed away. And so he, it went into probate, his, uh, his uh, estate. 
and um, the woman he married, his family actually tried selling one of my dad's properties. And so my uncle who worked in real estate periodically checks and notice that this condominium that belongs to my, you know, that my grandfather had bought in the seventies was up on MLS, which is a, uh, a, you know, a website to buy properties. And that flagged me. Right. So I, I call who I know to be the administrator of the, the trust. And I'm like, what is happening? Why is this up on MLS? And I get, I get it pulled down. So my dad in a way was, was getting my attention to make sure, like it was the first time he was, he was getting my attention to be like, um, this isn't right. You need, you need to be aware of this because the timing of, of that happening. And then my uncle contacting me, it was, it wasn't a coincidence. Like I don't even believe in coincidences at all. Everything is very serendipitous and, um, intentional everything there's, uh, so, you know, that was kind of like the first time he, he was able to communicate with me. But before that even happened, my, when my son was a toddler, he would actually, um, uh, he would very, he would communicate with my dad, but I could never see it. So that, that, that light thing for me was the first time, but prior to that, he was already in cahoots with my, you know, one and a half, two-year-old son who is barely talking. Fascinating. Oh, please tell us more about your son, Bodhi. So my husband and I, Zach, and I have a son named Bodhi. Um, it's spelled B-O-D-H-I. He's currently six, going on seven uh, in July. And he he very much came into this world with so much purpose. And I cannot wait to see what he does with it. He's very much an old soul in a little body. And um, and I just, we're, we're so delighted you know, that he chose us. I, I want to share a story about, you know, one night um, I was putting Bodhi to bed. And this is actually a novelty for me because we're a single household income and I work in tech and my husband um, taught kindergarten for 15 years. And for anyone who knows what it's like living in Los Angeles, paying for daycare is, is like, <laughs> it's like, a, it's like another rent. Um, and so, you know, a teacher salary in Los Angeles uh, was pretty much being negated by daycare. And so we had decided that my husband would stay at home and um, be a stay at home dad and pursue his voiceover career and tangent. Um, and so it was very far and few between that I would be the one that would get to put my son to bed because I would be working. So one night I get to put Bodhi down to bed and I remember laying with him and um, he First of all, he's just darling. He, I remember putting his little arms around my neck and saying, I'm, I'm the koala, you're the tree. And he goes, I have my arms around your neck. Do you feel that? And I said, yes, I feel it. Thank you. And he said, after that, he said, when I first came to this world, I was so happy to see you guys. And I just remember laying there thinking like, whoa, what did you just say? You know, this is, I think at the time when he said it, he might've been like maybe three, two and a half, three. And I just thought, wow, that's incredible. And I just said, thank you for choosing us. Um, so, you know, to know that I, I, I have this very special child, I, you know, we do not take him for granted at all. He's very, you know, not to say he doesn't have his moments as a child, every child does, but he, He's, he's pretty incredible. And so um, one day 
you know, my son was pointing up at the corner of our home in the family room, this, this back corner. And he, he said, man, man, sad man. And you know, like my dad was very jovial. So I'm like, that doesn't sound like him, but I go, you should tell him that you love him. And my son, like I said, was just learning to talk. He couldn't say, I love you yet. He, he would use, he used to say, ask you. So he's like, ask you, ask you. And he goes, man, crying, crying, man. And I was like, oh, like, it's so, I was like, I was just so moved by it. And he would just, you know, continue on playing and we would be sitting at the kitchen table, he's eating. And then all of a sudden my son would be like laughing. He'd go, man, tickling me. (laughs) And I was like, is this, this has to be my dad. It was just, it was so interesting because this would happen over the years where, you know, I, I wasn't the only one that witnessed it. My husband would be home too and see my son like kind of like talking to someone and he kind of seemed agitated. And that, and I said, honey, I go, if you don't want to play with Papa Wayne, just say, no, thank you, Papa Wayne. He goes, no, thank you, Papa Wayne. <laughs> so um, it was very, it was very interesting, you know, to see my son who's just so open and also very much an energetic being like he's incredible um he's very much his namesake his name is Bodhi um and uh you know sort of just to give you some like a character profile of my son um we would be walking him in the stroller and out of nowhere my son would say profound things like life is life the earth is lighter and darker and we're like what (laughs) where did you learn that we're not watching like anything that would say that, you know, we're watching cartoons and, you know, just baby friendly things like, oh gosh, what was all that? Like, what's that airplane show? Just cartoony type stuff. Nothing that has like philosophical things like that. So my son would say things like that or, um, what else? Or, you know, when he was barely starting to, he just started walking. I remember sitting on the floor and he'd walk, waddle over to me and I remember him holding my chin and staring into my eyes for like 30 to 40 seconds straight no blinking but it felt very much like I know you I see you and it was it it always it's always stayed with me because I I just feel like it's like such a it was such a moving experience so he's he's always felt like an old soul um I, I know he is actually, he feels much older than I am. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the way he, he talks to us or, or myself in particular. Well, that's it for this week's show, darlings. If you would like to call me and tell me your strange but true story, then do send it in to me at deadlydebbie at mail.com. Or we can read it out for you on the show. The choice is yours. Till next week, kittens, be good, and remember to keep your feet inside the covers while sleeping. You never know who could be lurking. Night-night. <laughs>